Well, Patty, I'm really excited about our episode today. Of course, our official podcast sponsor is NMI. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash NMI to learn more about their omni-channel solution, their gateway, and all the things they have to offer, which we'll talk more about in a little bit. Um, but, you know, today, Patty, could you share, you know, what's the interview about and what our uh, listeners have in store? Uh, I thought it was a really great interview we did today with V from Metis Pro. And, uh, you know, we made some jokes about this, you know, don't let, uh, don't, don't let your restaurant business go to toast. Um, But, you know, they have a really interesting solution. And what really struck me is that this was a solution born out of necessity. Yeah. You know, V and his wife had run a restaurant. They were having, they weren't satisfied with the POS systems they were getting. So they sat down and they built something. And it's a really, it's a really intriguing product. Um, I think, uh, I think our listeners are going to really learn something. I know I learned a lot from this interview. Definitely. Yeah. And then uh, in the questions from the field today, um, you know, I, I decided to really cover lead generation. I get so many questions, James, how do I generate leads? How do I generate leads? And so I don't give you the easy answer today. I give you the truthful answer of how to generate merchant services leads. I, I promise you this. I will give you something today that I guarantee you will work if you're willing to execute it. It's not a magic. Yes. It's not a insert cash, get leads. It's what no. will work, but you're going to have to do some work. And then you have um, to put out some money and some time, but I think it's a, there's some really good, interesting ideas there. They work for you. They're going to work for other people. Absolutely. And then, tell us about uh, the insiders, Patty. Oh, the insiders report. Uh, buy now, pay later is really taking off. Yes, it Some is. interesting little tidbits I have in there, including something about Visa in the market. But uh, yeah. we'll leave that so that you listen. Awesome. Well, Patty, I'm ready if you are. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, we are here today with Vigyan Kaushik. He is the co-founder and CEO at Metis Pro, which created the point of sale system Quantic. So how are you doing today, V? Great, thank you, Jim, for having me here. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, so I'm really excited about this topic today. Uh, you know, you wouldn't believe how many people I talk to now that are saying, hey, I'm trying to get into my market. I'm trying to sell point of sale to restaurants and I am getting toasted. How about that? Um, but toast and and others like it, not just toast, of course, but others like it. Um, they're really sure. getting that, that stronghold. And so today we're going to talk about competing. And I know you have a strong product in this area, V. So before we dive into that, though, Love to hear your backstory. Um, how did you get into this crazy industry? I know you and your wife started this company. So tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you ended up really competing with these companies to get into that restaurant POS market. Perfect. Yeah, for sure. So back in 2010, me and my wife were exploring what we could do outside of software uh, development world that we have been uh, for so many years. Sure. Um, and one fine day, we got this idea of uh, exploring restaurant space, and uh, the idea turned into uh, reality, and we started restaurant. Um, once we started the restaurant, we got um, our first point of sale system. We had some issues uh, with the point of sale, as we were not full-time operators, so we wanted to have uh, easy report access and things like that. It wasn't happening. Uh, back then, um, there were a few cloud-based point-of-sale systems that were actually coming in the market. So we happened to um, acquire, oh, happened to buy one point-of-sale system that we kind of liked, and uh, we didn't have good luck with that either. So on the other side, the restaurant was doing really well, so we decided to open second location of the restaurant, but not continuing with our point-of-sale system. So Ooh. restaurant was a catalyst here. Um, and I love that. That's great. So you were literally a restaurant operator and that's what get, kind of gave you this idea of, and, and obviously having your background in software development, I'm sure you were disgusted so by no the available brainer. options. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's super interesting. Yeah, it's just the, the same phrase as the, the in, uh, you know, when you don't find something, then if you have this skill set that you're trying to explore and that's kind of what we did. Yeah, I love sure. it. So, so let me ask you this, you know, you're really plugged into the, the restaurant POS market and, you know, maybe it's just my perception, but from what I'm seeing in the industry, it seems like it's pretty hot right now. It's like every restaurant that doesn't have a point of sale is trying to get one. If they have an old one, they're shopping for a new one. Um, what do you feel like is really driving this demand for restaurant point of sale? Why is it such a hot market right now? Well, I think the whole industry is shifting a little bit. The last year was really difficult uh, for everybody. 
And um, right. now what you're seeing is, is that people are coming up with different ways for um, accepting orders in the store. Um, the orders are coming through um, different channels um, and uh, the whole market is, is uh, much different than it what used to be in the past. And that is really uh, deriving uh, the need of a different uh, point of sale system that are capable of doing different things that not just standard transactional point of sale. So that's really, I feel like there are so many ways people are now placing order um, and um, the, the restaurant owners kind of need some ways of uh, easy ways to, to get those orders to them. And this is why they're looking for uh, different solutions that are out there. So, so what you're saying then V is that the COVID has had a huge impact on this or did, is this something that would have evolved anyway? And are you, you know, is the demand being driven by those changes in consumer behaviors that we saw over the last 16 months or is it a natural evolution? I would say it, it, since we have been in the in this space, we have been seeing every year changes uh, that were kind of progressing, but uh, COVID definitely um, changed things uh, on a much different pace. I mean, the, the pace that it was changing, um, 2020 was really a, a different year. And everybody who was like, I have talked to multiple customers in the past, they wouldn't really care about online ordering and you know, contactless ordering in the past. But last year was definitely um, uh, interesting where um, we all have to figure out how do we get more business and more clients. Um, right. So it, it had definitely in 16 months, it had changed a lot. Mm. So, so let's let's transition the conversation a little bit to the main topic, which is competing with Toast and and others like them. But let's zero in on Toast for just a minute because again, it's an it's one of those where all of our listeners know who Toast is. They're all competing against them. Um, it's kind of the the you know five hundred pound gorilla. So the question I have for you is this: What are they doing right? I mean, clearly they are getting a lot of restaurants. And I'll be honest, I wasn't sure that they'd be able to do it because, as you know, I mean, selling point of sale to restaurants is pretty difficult to do with kind of this traditional tech model over the phone, all of that. It's very involved. So I'm just curious from your perspective, what is Toast doing right? Why are restaurants, um, you know, so interested in what they have to offer today? Well, there are a couple of different things that, in my opinion, um, that probably working well for them is uh, they're obviously, as you said, they're a popular bonus sale system uh, in restaurant space. But one is, is that um, they got the full stack of uh, the hardware, the processing, and uh, they do this all. Um, so it, it's, it, it's- Everything's good. integrated together really well. Everything is integrated together, um, what, which may or may not be good from a merchant perspective, but good from their perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and that's, that's the one thing. The other thing is, is that they are also um, creating a lot of awareness in the industry about uh, the point of sale, different um, aspect of the restaurant industry, how they can, um, so kind of more uh, creating more knowledge base out there. Um, and I think that's helping uh, them. And, you know, that's kind of what, what I think mm. is working so, well. So it sounds like you're saying, um, you know, for their profit margins, the fact that they have everything integrated together is working really well. And they're taking that and leveraging it for marketing. And they're very, very good at marketing. Um, what do you see as, you know, kind of on the flip side, what are some of the weaknesses when you look at them, you know, where, where are the, where are the cracks in the foundation, right? So when you look at Toast, what do you see as some of their weaknesses as they go after these restaurant clients, especially as the restaurants start using them and maybe even other POS systems that are similar, but kind of speak to the weakness side of it? Yeah, well, in my, my mind, the first thing is, is that um, having some sort of uh, restriction or not having a freedom of processing uh, and locking them down in, in certain contracts is probably not a, always a good thing. I'm not saying it always um, bad, but in certain situations, I think merchant having the freedom of uh, choosing whichever processor they want or whatever they want to pay for their processing, I think it, it's a big, um, a big thing. And I think um, Toast um, is definitely processing their own card. So, that's really not there. The other thing is, is that um, I also truly believe in this. Have, when I was a restaurant operator, when I bought my first point of sale system, 
when I had to buy the second point of sale system, the one thing that I didn't really like, I invested a whole lot of money in the hardware for my previous point of sale. And now I have to change it and I have to buy a completely new hardware. Right. So any, any point of sale that has proprietary hardware that, that you can't use um, for other things is uh, probably um, it's a challenge. Um, and sometimes it's not the entire hardware, like you may be able to use some printers and things mm-hmm. like that. Right. But for the most part, I think if you have to change, um, if you don't like somebody, then you know you have to change everything. And I think that could be, uh, if merchant has paid for it, then it could be an expense that you were not expecting if you didn't like um, something. And it ends up making the uh, the sale a lot harder as well, because right, like the commitment you have to make is, you know, you're not just making a, a decision of like, let's try this out. You're saying let's invest $20,000 or 15,000 in hardware. And, and if it doesn't work, well, we just lost 15 grand. It makes a much bigger decision for the restaurant, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's definitely um, something that I, I feel like it should be a more generic version of the, of the hardware that really works uh, with, if you don't like and, and software, there may be uh, different needs for the business. There may be different uh, business rules that not available in the point of sale that you're, you're using. So I think having that freedom is always a good thing. So you kind of, in a way, seem to have answered the question that I have, but I want to just articulate it and see if there's we can dig a little bit deeper. You know, what is uh, Metis Pro... Uh, doing? How is it filling the needs of restaurants um, in a different or even better way than some of the competitors are? So Metis Pro has really created a platform that not only uh, supports the restaurant industry, but some other uh, retail industries as well. And our product, Quantic POS, is um, very well um, configured for a lot of different actions that restaurants or small retail businesses um, need. Um, So what we're providing or what we're doing differently is is that we'll provide a highly customizable point of sale system. Okay. When kind of the way I look at point of sale systems, I I would say 80% of them are all kind of the same. If you talk about the basic transactional um, aspect of everybody can process the payments and, and uh, print tickets and all that. But mm-hmm. where it gets tricky is, is that when you have different needs for maybe reporting or advanced reporting or maybe uh, SMS marketing or maybe some other needs that want you to have an omni-channel experience um, for, for your customers, then that's where I think it gets tricky. And that, that's where you start looking for something that kind of check all the boxes for you that you think mm-hmm. is the right solution. And what we come in is, is that, well, you have a standard point of sale system or you may be using a standard point of sale system, but what we do is, is that we try to check all the boxes that our, uh, the, our merchant need. Uh, we're also um, completely a reseller driven uh, organization. So we don't uh, sell direct. Everything that we do is uh, through reseller and ISO partners. So that's where I think we add a lot of value to our partners as well, where if they don't have a solution that fits the need, then we come in in, in, the, in in the mix and then we try to provide the solution that they need. Gotcha. That's really, uh, yeah, that's interesting. It's a great segue. The question I had next for you, V, was, you know, talk about the ISO and agent side of it. You know, how do you structure these partnerships? Talk about, you mentioned processor agnostic. Maybe you can talk a little more about that. Do you have certain gateways you integrate with or have direct integrations or, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And then also give us some high level financial structure. I mean, is this the kind of thing where you're charging software fees and the ISO gets a cut or is it that they're making just money on the processing? You get the idea. So give our, give our audience a little bit of a flavor of how you would, uh, you know, partner with them to give them that solution they need to go to market and compete with, you know, larger competitors like Toast in the restaurant market. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we have a number of integrations, direct integrations that are definitely um, going to or helping our ISOs to avoid any gateway fees. Um, And um, we are continuing we have dedicated projects every month that we pick different integrations and we continue to integrate for the partners Um, and uh, kind of the way we uh, structure our uh, process uh, with the resellers is that we 
let our reseller build the merchant and we build the resellers. So they have full freedom of creating their own price list. Um, they can charge whatever they think they want to charge or they might give, give it for free. And that's another uh, really good thing when you're competing with other um, competitors, out, competitors out there. And if they are giving away free software, then with this approach, they have ability to uh, give away free software as well um, if they have enough margins to be able to, uh, to pay Metasprout. Uh, the cost of the software. So um, we always, uh, in very rare case, we build directly. In most cases, we build through the partner. Um, it, it just makes things a lot easier for them, for us. Yeah, yeah. I, I always like that. I do. I, I think whoever has the billing relationship, you know, that's a big deal. And I think a lot of the ISOs really like that. It allows you guys to stay more uh, focused on what you're doing. Let me let me throw in one kind of maybe off-the-wall question, but something I wanted to dig in a little bit more. You know, mm-hmm. the ISOs and agents their big concern when it comes to selling more complex point of sale solutions is always opportunity cost, meaning mm-hmm. they're going to sell a restaurant and they're going to spend the next week in the restaurant trying to set it up and trying to train employees and things of that nature. Talk a little bit about um, how you're handling onboarding. So, you know, you have an ISO, they bring you a deal. Hey, here's a big two location, three location restaurant and bar, and they need all these stations and printers and, you know, everything. What yeah. happens next and what's their level of involvement? And maybe there's different levels. I don't know, but give us some flavor of how they could, you know, walk through that process without like losing a week of their life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you bring a very interesting point on boarding. That's really important part of this whole experience of selling restaurant point of sale. Yes, very. So we have basically two different approach. We are also a white label software provider. So we do white label point of sale for some partners um, and, um, as I said, uh, we don't compete with partners. So we basically let them pretty much handle the sales cycle. When it comes to onboarding, uh, we have a partner portal where they submit the account information and then we take over on their behalf. Uh, there are partners, um, that we have that where they're actually doing pretty much onboarding themselves sure. through our tools. But in other cases, we provide the complete onboarding experience um, for them. And uh, we basically handle end-to-end. We also have a configuration um, facility uh, in here in Bourbon, PA, uh, where we actually configure the entire hardware um, and software and we ship everything together. So we can reduce the amount of time that you would put if you were sending just the hardware out at the location and then you have to figure everything all out. We also partner with a third-party um, uh, implementation company, um, Boomtown, where we actually can oh, sure. help um, uh, send technician online uh, on site, and uh, they can help with installation, and it works really great. Yeah, I think that's crucial. I, yeah, I, you know, it really is. I, I think there's a lot of you know, I, it's one of the big adjustments our industry needs to make. I'm glad you brought that up because mm-hmm. you know there's so many agents and ISOs out there that they're just not used to selling big ticket items. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they're going out there. And even if it's not, even if they're giving away the hardware for free or something crazy like that, they still can't quite pull it off because it's like, well, they have to charge a thousand dollars for an on-site installation or, or whatever. Right. And it's like, that's nothing. Yeah. You know, these restaurants are literally, you know, they, they've got $10,000 a week payroll, right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in some cases, maybe 5,000, whatever, but you know, they're, they have huge payroll and they're trying to implement, a system that's going to just totally change the way they run their business. In many cases, they are willing and wanting, like, please let me write this check so I can get an expert to come out and run all the cables and make sure everything. I mean, are you seeing like, let me ask it to you this way, V. When you look at these larger restaurants that you work with, I mean, what percentage of them are wanting that kind of white glove experience, send somebody here, make sure everything is really good versus like they want to do the install themselves. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. Are there more restaurants now that are wanting to do it themselves? What are you seeing there? It's a very, very good question. And we obviously see this um, a lot, almost on a daily basis. Um, Honestly, if you give them the choice, then they all want on-site install. Like that. There are a lot of complexity in point of sale, and especially when you talk about cloud or point, cloud-based point of sale system, not just us, anybody. Um, there's a lot of network dependencies. There are Wi-Fi factors. So if you don't yeah. set that up right, 
then POS system is not going to work well. So um, for the most part, I think what I have heard, and it's very tricky question, especially last in 16, 17 months, what we have seen. Oh, sure. Everything has been very difficult, and a lot of uh, this stuff has moved to online or remote or phone support, this and right. that. But it's, it's definitely uh, wherever it's possible, we try to do this in person or send the technician. But we obviously are also doing a lot of on-site I mean, um, sorry, online um, remote install as well. I'm sure. Uh, where we and this is where we pre-configure everything. So when our uh, merchant gets the hardware, they're not trying to figure out every single thing. And sometimes, like even opening a box might be a challenge because you don't know where each cable is going to go, and you have to read manual. And being in the restaurant business, I can tell you is that after having the skill set that I needed to, to pull the reports or do what I wanted to do, I was not able to find the time. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, what you are capable to do, when you run a small business, your priority always kind of changing and you have all sort of you know other, yeah. other important things to take care of. So regardless, you know how to install it. I don't think you will be able to find the time that it takes. Um, so yeah, it's a little challenge. I agree. I agree. I'm glad you said that. I, I really think that's something our audience needed to hear because they need to understand it. And again, it's I always I call it opportunity cost because for me, I started selling point of sale systems. You know, this is like 12 years, 11 years ago, and you know there wasn't as much of the cloud based and all that. But even still, what I found was it's like I could spend eight hours at the restaurant, you know, or I could pay somebody to spend three hours because they're a lot better than me at the restaurant, you know, training. And then meanwhile, I take my eight hours, I go make another sale. So I make right. a lot more money and I don't have to deal with this stuff I'm not good at. So I think it's focusing on, you know, your strengths. So so kind of along those lines, one last question for you. Um, and then I want to get some contact information and things like that. But, you know, talk about marketing for just a second. You know, you're seeing all these different ISOs and agents out there that are selling restaurants. When you look at somebody like a toast, you mentioned their marketing right at the beginning as one of their strengths, which it is. I mean, you know, restaurants all know about toast. So how, you know, what tips would you have? What are you seeing they're doing that's working? And then what tips do you have for ISOs and agents that they want to break into this market? They want to get out there and they want to make restaurants aware that, hey, there's alternatives to these big pay facts um, and, you know, larger ISVs that are processor, uh, you know, locked in like that. You know, what are you seeing that's working to, to break into this restaurant market with point of sale? So one thing that I really like with ISO channels that we work with um, and we uh, partner with like-minded ISOs um, that really kind of fall or follow the similar approach where we believe in long-term relationship with the merchant. So when you have ISOs um, agents that are uh, really um, local to the business and they're able to see them, they're able to talk to them and understand what their needs are, I think if you if ISOs can or agents can build upon that um, having the relationship component, then I think that helps a lot. Marketing is a very um, uh, tricky um, in the sense like it, there's no right way or wrong way yeah, to do yeah. it. It just that's, uh, yeah. there are certain yeah. things that works for you, certain things don't. Um, but kind of the way I look at it, if you understand the pain points of your merchant. Um, that is with you, or if you get a referral or get a lead or you're prospecting, if you understand the pain points and if you hit on those pain points and you provide them the solution that will help them, I think you will have a customer for a long time. And I think that's kind of really, no matter it's Toast or anybody else, if, if, if merchant is happy and getting what they need, I think you got them for a long term. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. You know, I want to I want to share one other really quick just personal story that I, I think you might relate with actually um, that I think is important for our audience. I've been talking a lot about, you know, reimagining capital allocation in our industry and kind of how we're investing, you know, our capital. Um, when I had the last time I had a, a large ISO that I owned would have been about six years ago. We were doing like 200 deals a month and, you know, it was really heating up this idea of point of sale, you know. And I was talking to agents and I'm like, why aren't you selling this? You know, and it's like, well, I don't know how to talk people into spending 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 on hardware. And so I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, good night. If we sell this hardware, you know, and we get this person to have a customized point of sale, you know, the lifetime value of the account 
is astronomical, you know, because they're never going to cancel. You know, we can we can plan seven years or something like that. Right. So I put a proposal together. I went to uh, an investor in the industry that I, I knew and but not not somebody that owed me anything, you know, and I went to him and just said, hey, I got a crazy idea. You know, could would you loan me money? to run a program where I gave the hardware away for free, but I had a contract where if they canceled, I got the hardware back, we'd refurbish it, send it back out again. And here's, here's the financial model of this, you know, literally this guy called me back like a couple hours after I sent the email and he said, you got a deal. And I said, well, I don't know how many we're going to do. He said, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, that financial model is ridiculous. Like, what do you like? Of course. Yeah. He said, I hope you mm-hmm. sell a hundred a day. I don't, I don't care. I'll come up with, millions, like whatever you need. That's a no brainer. So I just want to throw it out to our industry that it's like, you know, this idea that there's all these barriers, like, oh, I can't compete with toast. I can't compete with, you know, these, this place that yes, you can, you know, you got to think about your capital a little bit differently. And I think V you've made such great points today. You know, there, there are things that can be done. Are, are you kind of seeing that V like the creativity and are, are you starting to see it more with the ISOs that are breaking into this market? Are they being more creative to get these deals done? Absolutely. And I can tell you from my own experience back in the days when we were running a restaurant. So we ran restaurants from 2010 to uh, 2015. And then we started, Metaspro was started in end of 2015. So we basically, no matter how you plan your financials, when you are running a small business, you're always running into cash flow issues they're always running into problems and this is like you know you now you need this you need that like you need right. a now catering van right all well, it goes on and on yeah now any any offer that you get from your vendors from supplier for anything for free where you don't have to pay you right. definitely kind of give always like a you pause and think about it yeah so if you have a way to give away anything or not even like completely free, even if you can reduce the upfront investment right. for a restaurant that really need a $10,000, $20,000 point of sale system, giving them a like break or giving them something for free or, and this is what a lot of the other players are doing or making, uh, you know, success yeah. in, in this space is, is that they're, they're, they're doing it. So if you can, if you can right. do that or create that model, I think that will work very well. And I talked to a um, number of um, ISOs and, and some customers as well. We also have some programs that we have put together uh, through third-party financing companies for the same purpose. But yeah, right. that model works very well. Yeah, I love it. Like what we did, we just had a subscription. So it was like based on, you know, it was like you have your software subscription and then we had the hardware subscription. So yeah. basically we're just renting the hardware is kind of how it was. And it's like, you know, if you want each station is X amount per month or whatever. And then of course we're making all the money on the processing fees and, you know, everybody was, was loving it. So anyway, um, we could go on talking about this for a long time. I have a lot more here, which we'll have to come back to in another episode, but uh, for right now, um, please give our audience some information Um, just to clarify. And I want to make sure we get this right. You said Metis Pro is the kind of the platform or almost like a parent company to Quantic, which is the POS uh, solution that you have provisioned specifically for restaurants and maybe a few others. Is that, is that correct? Uh, Absolutely. So, um, Metis Pro is a platform that has multiple different products. So we not okay. only do point of sale, we do we have invoicing product, we have payment terminals, okay. Android based uh, PAX terminals that we, we deploy. We have digital signage, we have complete omni-channel uh, experience. So what we have done is we've created this platform for small businesses um, and we're specialized obviously in restaurants um, and also other different uh, other retail uh, businesses as well. Sure. But what we um, have is, is we call uh, the product uh, Quantic. Uh, Quantic is is uh, uh, our point of sale product, but we also have Quantic terminals, Quantic e-commerce, and and, and several other ancillary products um, along along the way. So again, goes it goes back to the solutions. We always when I was doing this. I not only needed the point of sale, I needed my e-commerce website, I needed my uh, phone ordering, I needed all of that together. Just the point of sale was enough for me. So that's where like we basically created this platform that provide all these different solutions. Love it, love it. And then uh, where would you send our audience to to learn more? Uh, Where should they go if they want to learn more about you and about uh, becoming a reseller? Sure, for resellers, we have our uh, website, uh, metispro.com. And uh, for product, we have a website called getquantic.com. 
So if you're on metaspro.com, you can visit Get Quantic from there as well. And can you spell Metaspro for us to make sure we got the website correct? Sure. It's M-E-T-I-S-P-R-O.com. M-E-T-I-S-P-R-O.com. You got it. Got it. Okay, great. So everybody go to metaspro.com. Um, and then V, anywhere that people could look you up. I'm assuming you're on LinkedIn and other, other places, right? They can look you up as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I can... Uh, I, I can be reached there at the same time. I can also be reached through metispro.com through contact page. Oh, got it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, v, thank you so much for your time today. Great insights, great information for audience. Really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I really learned a lot today, V. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Patty, uh, we love, of course, talking about our sponsor, NMI, uh, NMI.com the official right? sponsor of our podcast. What a great company. Today, we want to talk to you about kind of an interesting um, you know, feature set that they have, and that's with multi-mid merchants. Right, um, right. That's like giving them the flexibility, right, to, to, to be able to set up their different locations and so forth. Yeah, you know, all kinds of different setups. You know, you're going to have different locations sometimes. Sometimes you're even going to have one merchant that has a Moto account, so a mail order, telephone order. Right. And then they're going to have a physical location account. And they're going to want these things separated because of the interchange, you know, sure. based on the SIC code of the, of the merchant and the, and the type, it'd be better for them to say, this is an e-commerce account. This is physical location. They're going to get better interchange rates that way. Mm-hmm. But if they have to separate them on different, totally different platforms, different statements, different, all of that, that can be confusing. NMI combines it in the dashboard for the merchant. So we talked last week about the platform for the ISOs, but you know the dashboard. Right. But there's right. also a really great dashboard for the for the merchant that has these multiple mids to actually see in one view. Okay, where am I getting my revenue? Is it from on you know my my e-commerce shopping cart or or, or you know telephone right. orders or physical location? So right. So they manage you know, the mids on a single gateway account, right? Is what you're saying. Yes. And uh, and then they can consolidate all of the data with real-time reporting, as I understand it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's correct. Yeah, I love it. And then, um, so I also just wanted to make sure also, does that give them the ability um, to, to route transactions based on a variety of parameters? You know, so there's a lot of flexibility with the API. I wouldn't want to get too specific. Um, uh-huh. but, but I think what I would say is, if these are kind of the things that are interesting you, You need to reach out to NMI. I I encourage all of our listeners, have a conversation. You know, what do you have to lose? You need to talk to them and see like, well, you know, tell them what you do and ask them how they can help. I mean, worst case scenario, you call, you make a friend, you make a connection and there's maybe it's not the right fit. But most of our listeners, I really believe if you explain, hey, here's the types of merchants I'm selling, the types of systems I'm selling, you know, what can, how can I work with NMI? I think you'd have a very interesting call. Yeah, I think, I think that you would come away happy. So uh, if you're interested, and you should be, uh, and you want to see some more, we really appreciate it. James and I would really appreciate it if you would go to ccsalespro.com slash NMI. That's Nancy, N as in Nancy, M as in Mary, I as in Irene. Uh, again, ccsalespro.com slash NMI. Give it a look. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So, Patty, uh, right before we started recording this episode, I had, a, well, actually, I was playing ping pong right before we started this episode, but, <laughs> but right before that, um, I had a really interesting call. Uh, we just got a ping pong uh, room. I, I actually rented an oh, extra I'm office. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I know. I rented an extra office down the hall, and uh, we went over to the people doing our lease, and they're like, Oh, are you, you're, you hired somebody else. Cause we, we, we've been adding offices like crazy. Right. Like, Oh, did you hire somebody else? I said, no, we're just going to ping pong table. <laughs> so we put it in there, but anyway, I was playing sort ping of pong. like the break room, ping pong room. Yeah. Yeah. We have a little like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So right. that was like my second game on the table. I was like, I got to try this thing out. So right before that, um, I was on a call and I was talking to an agent who asked me a question that I've gotten a lot. And I feel like I haven't answered it very well 
truthfully very well because I, I have you know, some, some things I feel like, well, if I say this, people aren't going to receive it very well. They're not going to think it's practical. They're just going to pie in the sky. But I thought, you know what? I'm tired of that. Like, this is the right answer to this question. So I'm going to give it to you. So the question was, you know, how do I market to my local area? How do I sell merchant services in my local area? How do I get leads? You know, I get people all the time. I need lead generation, lead generation. And my telemarketers are calling, but they just can't get anybody. And in the words of this individual, um, the, the way he worded it was, he said, I really feel like I've saturated my local market at this point. I've walked into every business three or four times. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been doing it for years. I have telemarketers. They're struggling to get me appointments. I don't know what to do. And the right answer to that uh, problem, because I'm in a rural, very rural. I mean, you've been here, Patty. I'm in a very right. rural market. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I was even scratching the surface of you know saturating my market. And it's not because I wasn't out there putting the work in. It's because of creativity in marketing. Mm. Um, and so I shared a couple of ideas with this uh, individual um, about some things that he could do to generate leads in his market that were creative. And um, as expected at the end of the call, you know, his response was, wow, that's really good information. I'll have to think about it. Um, Is he going to implement any of these? I don't know. Are any of our listeners going to implement any of these? I don't know because they require a different kind of work than you're used to. They require a different skill set. And it's something that you need to develop. If you're feeling saturated in your market, I can tell you exactly what to do. I doubt you're going to do it, but I can tell you exactly what to do. So how about that? Well, part of it also, isn't it? You just need to change your mindset. Yes. You You know, I mean, you have your traditional way of marketing. You've been doing it for years. It's worked okay. But, you know, market influences are changing. People's perceptions are changing. What gets people's attention is changing. Right. Right. So I thought what I would do, Patty, to, to answer this, rather than giving kind of the you know, yeah, just do all social media magical stuff and, you know, whatever. I thought I would just be super practical and I'm going to give two examples of actual things that I did in my local market. Excellent. That were creative. That really worked well. Okay. So number one on my list, um, I sought out a local business attorney that had a good track record of success in the local area, lots of connections. Uh And I said, I would like to, I'm planning to write an ebook um, I'm also going to do a print version, but I'm going to write a little, you know, a book for small business owners in a local area about payment processing. So I'm a payment processing expert. You're an attorney. One of the things I find that are really uh, a lot of local businesses are struggling with is they're signing these agreements, these merchant agreements that have, you know, early termination right. fees. They have all these extra hidden costs and all of that. And so I thought maybe, would you be willing to work with me to co-author a free book. I will pay for everything. And it's going to be great publicity for you. Great publicity for me. I already have a marketing team. We will make sure we blanket the market with this thing. But would you be willing to work with me? And what that means is that I would interview you um, on audio, like recorded audio. I have a bunch of questions to ask you. I'll give them to you ahead of time. You can review them. You can research them. Questions about contracts and issues. And then what I'm going to do is I will take that information back Um, I have some information to share as well. I'll get my editor, you know, and what I did at that time is I went to upwork.com, U-P-W-O-R-K. I didn't have an editor at that time. So I went to upwork.com, hired somebody that was a copywriter and an editor, and I had them take the information I gave them, the information the attorney did, and write the ebook for me, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Then I went through and did some rewrite because that's part of my skill set. And so I did some work on it as well. Um, Then I did a final proof, took it to the attorney, and said, hey, here you go. You can change anything you want. You know, what do you, what do you approve? Whatever. And so we went back and forth, as you would imagine, with an attorney. We went back and forth quite a bit. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, so then when I finally had the approval from the attorney and everything, and it, it was something I liked, then I went to a, a Upwork again. I hired a graphic designer. So the whole project cost me 800 bucks. I hired a graphic designer that was specialized in making ebooks that was very good. But I said, I also need a print version. And so I got a print version and an, an ebook. Okay. So. Now, my telemarketers called through everybody in the area, not about credit card processing services, but hey, the reason I'm calling is that, um, you know, my boss, James Shepard, got together with attorney such and such, who I'm sure you are aware of, 
and they have co-authored a short little uh, ebook and they have a print version as well to help small business owners navigate contracts, especially as it relates to credit card processing where there's so many hidden costs. And right. we just want to give it to you for free. It's something that we're doing and we'd love to give that to you for free. Um, could we email a copy to you? And, and that was the pitch. And they would say, yeah, sure. We'd email it and they'd say, great. Now, if you don't mind, I know, you know, eBooks are great, but James loves to come by and actually put a paper copy in your hand just so you have it to flip through. Um, would you be available tomorrow around two? So James could come by and hand you this eBook. Well, Obviously, the design of the ebook, I made sure my uh, headshot was on the cover and I made sure the attorney's headshot was on the cover. Right. And every day I was going out and I was handing six, seven, eight of these to local business owners. Guess what? They kind of respected me and it was a pretty easy conversation from there to selling them payment processing services. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, that whole project took me cost me 800 bucks plus the print cost, which was, I, I don't remember, two bucks, 250 per thing that I printed. Um, so I got a bunch of them printed. I got, I don't know, a thousand of them printed or 500 or something. So there was that cost. Um, and the time investment was, I don't know, maybe for me, maybe, uh, six hours of time for somebody else. That's not, doesn't have that same skill set as far as the writing and stuff, maybe it'd be 12, 15 hours, but minimal in my opinion. And the amount of publicity I got and the amount of, you know, it was unbelievable. I even ended up going through the chamber of commerce and saying, Hey, can we give a free copy to all the members? And, you know, so this is the kind of thing that you can do that's really creative. Right. Um, I'll give one other really quick idea. One other one that I did was I did a, um, uh, uh, what I did was I did like a, a survey that was actually a petition. And I went to businesses and said, hey, we're going to petition Congress to uh, increase transparency in payments. We believe that Visa and MasterCard should have more transparency. I won't get into all the details, but um, I made a, a, you know, a petition and my telemarketers would call and say, hey, our office is working on a petition. Uh, we're trying to get as many small business owners as we can to sign it. Could one of our, could James, one of our representatives stop by, explain the petition a little bit more in depth of what it is and, and see if you would be willing to join us. And here's in general what we're trying to do. That was a pretty good pitch. So I went in, guess what information I needed in order for them to sign the petition? How much are you processing? processing. <laughs> How much are you paying in fees? Right. Um, these are the questions I needed, you know. Um, well, those questions are pretty good ones to ask when you're prospecting for credit right. card processing. Um, in fact, I even said it'd be great if we even had a copy of a payment processing statement. We're trying to get, you know, some screenshots and things like that to send along. Well, next thing I know, I have how much they process, their total fees and a processing statement. So I'm sure none of our listeners can think of where my conversation turned next. Right. Oh, my goodness. Look how much you're paying. Well, hopefully this petition works and we're able to save you a fortune. But even if it doesn't, I would love to work with you just to become one of my clients because good night. I, can, I know I can save you a lot of money right here just by helping you out with what we already have, you know, under the current law. Um, and so there's another example. So it's things like that. I could give you another 50 of those. Uh, uh -huh. But I would encourage people to think more creatively. You should have your monthly email newsletter you're sending out with your spotlight merchant of the month, you know. These are the kinds of things that I did to make sure that I had a real steady flow of leads. Um, mm -hmm. My flow of leads got better over time, not worse. Yeah, um, because I, I was always coming out with the next creative thing. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to go after a saturated market, the key is creativity. Um, and that's something that a lot of people in our industry, frankly, they, they are creative, but they're not exercising their creativity when it comes to lead generation and marketing. They're looking yeah. for the magic, you know, they're looking for how can I insert money and get out leads? And it just doesn't work right. like that today. Right, right. Good stuff, James. Thanks. Thanks, Patty. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. We have a few news items this week um, on the buy now, pay later front, which I think uh, illustrate oh. just how big this trend is. Okay. Um, first up, Afterpay, which was a pioneer in the buy now, pay later for online merchants, just struck a deal with the owners of Westfield Shopping Centers to support buy now, pay later options by merchants operating in their malls. Wow, um, really? That's yeah, I, I, I thought that was a pretty huh. big deal. Yeah. yeah. And uh you know, some of the mall retailers that have already signed up, I don't, I have to admit, I don't know all of these places, right? such as Lush Cosmetics, not particularly familiar, but I'm sure it must be a yeah. big one. 
Aldo, the children's place and the container store. Um, okay. Sure. So, you know, despite the proliferation of online shopping, obviously spurred by COVID, Westfield says its research suggests consumers haven't totally abandoned brick and mortar. Um, they recently did a survey and 63% identified in-person shopping as a special treat. Um, the immediacy also had an impact, like with 73% of shoppers stating that they love the idea of going home with their purchases right away. Well, you know, I can tell you as someone that has been to the children's place a few times with Christina, uh-huh. I bet um, that's a place where you need buy now, pay later. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I haven't been there, but I've been by. I mean, I've walked by it a couple yeah. times. And you see that outfit that's just so cute. You have to buy it for your two year old or your, or your right? five year old or whatever. And then you go in and you're like, really? $47 for, for like, it's there. It's a two year old. It's like the same amount of cloth it takes to make a, like a napkin, you know, like, right. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in another news, uh, um, Bloomberg is reporting that Apple is developing a new perk that allows Apple Pay users to buy items and pay for them in monthly installments. Um, Yeah, and of course, they have Goldman Sachs, which is the bank behind the Apple card, partnering with them on the project. Okay. But the biggest news, in my opinion, is that Visa is getting into Buy Now, Pay Later. Really? Yes. Oh, I didn't it's know that. created a buy now, pay later installment play um, payment service for its card issuing clients. It's just started rolling it out up in Canada. Uh, wow. Visa, Visa Canada announced in early July that it's collaborating with Global Payments hmm. and the co- financial cooperative Desjardins, um, which will be enabling um, it for its cardholders. Um, you know, James, growth in, of installment payment schemes has been extraordinary, especially over the past year. Uh, we've talked about it. We've had a few interviews about it. Uh, Euro Monitor estimates that the market accounted for $1.4 trillion yeah. in global payment volume last year. And uh, in the Canadian market, Visa of Canada says it saw an increase in adoption of 30% last year. Mm. But it's wow. growing even faster here in the U.S. U.S. Uh, merchant, or excuse me, research and markets predicts nearly 42% growth in the buy now, pay later market here this year, and that it's going to top 126 billion, mm. and that it's going to grow at a combined annual rate of 14% between now and 2028. Mm. Meanwhile, um, some surveys by Motley Fool illustrate uh, the popularity. With U.S. consumers, here's a couple of the high, uh, a handful of the highlights from that. 55.8% of consumers have used the service as of March 2021, up from 37% in 2020, in July 2020. That's a pretty large jump. That's huge. Um, 64% of those users said they have used the service more than once since the pandemic began. Okay. Of the 44 0.2% who have not used a BNL, BNPL service, better than half said that they're open to the idea. Hmm. Uh, 62% of consumers say that buy now, pay later could replace their credit cards. Big reason why Visa is getting into it. I would imagine. Uh, and, you know, it's a big reason why I think it's popular. Um, PayPal, apparently, and not surprisingly, actually, is the most popular buy now, pay later provider with 43% of users saying they had used the PayPal service. Mm. One of the most common purchases is electronics. Yeah, for sure. And this is the one I thought was really interesting. 61% of buy now, pay later users would rather use a merchant provided offering rather than going to a third party. Wow, that's huge. That is huge. So for these companies, some of whom we've interviewed here before that are offering this as a, as a value add for merchants. I think that's great news. Yeah. And I think, so we had talked about, let's see, we serve credit S U R V with Mark Beauchamp. Who else? I know there's a couple others. I know there was a couple others that I couldn't, can't remember their names right now at the top of my Um, head. But I think definitely looking into consumer credit, making sure you, you know, have some different options available for your merchants is important. You know, it's funny as you're saying this, Patty, I had an interesting experience yesterday about this. Um, I personally don't think I've ever used something that you would call buy now, pay later, but 
yesterday I was on Amtrak. So my wife and I are going to take this like train. It's amazing. They have this auto train where you can pull your car onto yes. the train. Then you yes. get like a private room with your family and they take you down overnight. Done it. Then they're done. That is okay. beautiful. Right. It is so cool. You'll okay. love it. Well, great. First time yeah. for us, but we're taking, we're going to get the to, family suite. I hope we're getting the family suite, uh, yeah. two of them. Cause we're going down to Orlando, Florida to Disney world later in right. December with the grandparents and all this. Oh, excellent. Um, and bringing all the kids and everything. So, Needless to say, as I'm sure you know, that's pretty expensive. I yes, was rather surprised by the expense, actually. So uh, I was you on save Amtrak. on that auto rental over flying, remember? Yes, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're talking about, you know, thousands of dollars for this. Right. So oh, especially for the whole fam. Yeah. Yeah. So right. then I, you know, I got to the ending screen and I went to like pay for this thing. And I realized that I went to pay for it. Oh, man, I'm going to have to call the bank and get a an increase on my you right. know, on my one-time transaction amount because it was so much money. Right. And I see their little ad right there, buy now, pay later or some such. Amtrak is offering it. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. And, I, and I looked at that and I, but you know, the thing that made the decision for me, not, I didn't do it. I ended up reaching out to the bank is, you know, usually those services, they end up being rather difficult to sign up for and, and, you know, cumbersome in terms of just the amount of time it takes where it's like, uh, it's probably gonna be faster for me to just deal with it on my credit card. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would rather, you know, keep that credit card balance there. Right. It was just more a matter of like the limit, you know, of an individual transactions too low. Um, but I think it's going to be very popular. And I think, I think what, what companies like Visa might bring to the table is streamlining this, mm-hmm. make it a really a better experience. Right. Um, you know, for, for the end user there, make it, I think if it was faster and easier and people kind of felt like, I could probably click on that and within a couple of minutes, I could be good to go here. Right. I think a lot more people would do it. And and I'm with you because I have not used it for that very reason. Yeah. You know, I've clicked on it. I saw everything I had to fill out. It's like, oh, the heck with it. I'm just going to put it on my card because I don't feel like going through three more screens. Exactly. It's like I already right. signed up for the credit card. I don't want to sign it. It's all, it feels like you're signing up for a credit card. That's exactly what it feels you like. Know? Yes. And, and yes. you know, and ironically, and I mean, in a way like, you kind of are, you are, but like with um, uh, capital one as an example, like I have a capital mm-hmm. one card. I, honestly, I think it was easier signing up for that than it is for that somebody who might not pay later stuff. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise so, me. So I think, wouldn't I think as me. they become more streamlined, more mainstream, I think they'll be, you know, I think they'll they'll become increasingly popular as well. I also got a kick out of there was something I was buying and I don't even remember what it was. It was some kind of clothing. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you know, you can do a buy now, pay later. I'm like, this article of clothing is less than a hundred dollars. Why would I want right. to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Streamlined into four payments of nineteen ninety-five. Right. I felt like I was on QVT or Q, right. you know, right? Yeah, QVC. Well, yeah, QVC. and it's like and, and my thing is maybe there's some legs to that. But it's going to have to be super convenient, and and, and it's going to have to be that somebody's taking the risk that they can't. You you don't want a hard credit inquiry just to borrow a right. hundred dollars. Exactly. You know what I mean. Exactly. So it'll be interesting. Definitely keep us posted, Patty. I'm sure it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I really think it's going to be interesting, James. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.